It's good to see all of you. Hey, didn't Valerie do a great job Wednesday night? Yeah, she did. If you've not heard it, go listen to it on the podcast. You can listen to just about every message preached at LifePoint on the podcast. Go check that out. It's amazing. Last year, we had over 12,000 people listen, listen to the podcast uh, on, uh, at LifePoint. And so just uh, go check it out. All around the world, it's pretty cool. Why not you stand with me right now as we read the word? I want to look to 1 Corinthians 14, verses 24 and 25. It's great to see all of you. We're remembering Miss Cynthia, who lost her sister this week. We love Cynthia, and uh, we love that entire family, and we're definitely lifting her up as she makes the the trek to Ohio to... uh, for the funeral of Miss Janice. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. Notice, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. In other words, when the church gathers together, Paul says, don't waste your time. Flow in the Spirit. All of you. Everybody say all. All of you. And as you do, he says, God will speak to the heart of unbelievers. So much so that they'll fall on their face and they'll worship God and say, God is in this place. This is an established church at Corinth, but it reminds me of the church in Acts 2. They were gathered together in one place, one accord. The Spirit moved on all the believers. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. A crowd gathered round and many were saved. And so from this passage in 1 Corinthians 14, I'd like to preach a message, and it's a series we're kicking off today, entitled, I Love My Church. Everybody say, I love my church. And I would like to subtitle today's message, It's Time to Cross the Line. I want to say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, your goodness. I pray that you would challenge us today as never before. Speak to our hearts, and for this we give you praise. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. There are a lot of places we go, some just for fun, others because we have to. I'm going to throw some pictures of some places we go on the screen, and when you see the picture, I want you to tell me your first impression, all right? Let's play this little game. Let's throw that first one up there. Fun? No. Take a number. How many of you go to the the Office of Motor Vehicles and and you you look for somebody's discarded number that got discouraged and walked out and just threw it? Do you do that? I look for that number because I'm like, maybe somebody dropped a number 
and I can get ahead of everybody else. That's what I do. I'm, I'm looking for a way out, right? What about this right here? Fun? Now, some of you, that's your job. I understand. I get it. But for, you know, the rest of us, and when you're the patient, I, you know what I hear? And some of you know I've had some experiences at the LSU dental school that went like this. That not good. That not good. You feel that? That not good. So I have like, no, that's not my place. Let's hit that next one. What about that? Oh, yeah. Good? Yeah. Great. Great. I love Tiger Stadium. What about this one? I hear some sighs and moans. <laughs> I mean, when we go to a game or something out there, it's like, yes. But some of you, you know, that's the daily grind. Here's one. Check this out. Grocery store, right? Some of you, it's work. Some of you, it's fun. Valerie didn't go to the grocery store for years and years. Yours truly did. Yeah, but that's all changed. Here, here's something else. Check this out. The most magical place on earth, Disney. All kind of different emotions are evoked from these pictures. Now, this building that you're sitting in is known all across these parishes as the place where the, the people of Life Point gather together. And I want your first impression to be, I love my church. I love those people. God does great things among those people. I want outsiders, others to understand God moves in that place with those people. That's where lives are forever changed. It's supposed to be that way, church. Do you hear what I'm saying? The church gathers in one place, in one accord. The church flows together in the spirit in that place. And unbelievers and Carnal people, visitors, if you will, are convicted and convinced by the demonstration of the Spirit of God among His people that this is the house of God. These are the people of God. And God has zeroed in on us. And God has so much more for us. Do you remember when Jacob had that dream in the Old Testament of that ladder, that stairway? And he spoke of it being the Bethel, the house of God. And it was a place where the heavens were opened and angels were active. And there were supernatural blessings, favor, strength, and help coming from heaven. That's the way the church is supposed to be. The church is the house of God where the heavens are open, where faith fills the atmosphere, where the power of God falls and where with God nothing shall be impossible. And I want you to know I love my church. Do you love your church? This is where sins are forgiven. This is where people are water baptized like Kim is getting water baptized today at the end of the service in Jesus' name. This is where people are filled with the Holy Ghost. This is where clogged arteries are healed like Melissa was a couple of weeks ago where 
miraculous things take place. Lives that are broken are put back together. Priorities get readjusted. Deep commitments are made where reservations for hell are canceled and reservations for heaven are secured. I love my church. Hallelujah. And Ephesians 5.25 says that Jesus loves the church. I'm telling you, he loves the church universal, but he loves the local church. He loves my church. Jesus loves LifePoint. Revelation, newsflash. People say, I don't know if I love. Let me tell you something. Jesus loves LifePoint Church. Jesus loves my church. Say, I love my church. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about LifePoint. Some of you know, some of you don't know. In 2005, 2006, Valerie and I were zeroing in on our next assignment. We knew we were going to plant a church. We just didn't know where. So we were looking at Seattle, Dallas, and Prairieville, of all places. And we did a lot of prayer, a lot of investigation, and we decided it's the will of God for us to move to Prairieville, Louisiana, and to plant a church. So in March of 2006, we moved to our fair city here, and God put it in our heart to plant this church. Now, God knew we would have some difficult times, and he gave me a dream that he was saying, I was walking through Seattle, downtown Seattle, under the bridge, near the first Starbucks. I was walking down that road, and the Lord was asking me, Donovan, Will you go? Will you go? Now, we had already planned on going to Baton Rouge, to Prairieville. And God was saying, will you go to Seattle? Will you go to Seattle? And I said, yes, Lord, but you asked me to go to Prairieville. And he said, but will you go to Seattle? Will you go to Seattle? And, man, I was, I was arguing. I said, but you told me to go to Prairieville. And he said, will you go? And I dropped to my knees, and I was crying. And I said, Lord, I moved to Maryland all those years ago to plant a church. You know I'll move to the west coast, to the northwest to plant a church. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. And I woke up, and I called Valerie, and I said, Oh, my goodness, I thought we were going to Prairieville, but I just had a dream. Let me tell you about it. And long story short, the Lord wanted me to know that I was willing. He knew, but he wanted me to know I was willing to go to Seattle. Because when times got tough in Baton Rouge, which Louisiana is my neck of the woods, when times got tough, he wanted me to be able to say, I didn't just settle on Louisiana. God called me to Louisiana. And he knew I needed to know I was willing to go anywhere. I really was. He broke me down, and I said, Lord, you know I'm willing. But then he let me know, I just was testing you. You're supposed to go to Baton Rouge. So we moved here in that March of 2006 and God began to do amazing things. I'm trying to tell you, God is the one responsible for the building that you're sitting in, for the people that are sitting around you. I was trying to build a team. I was told, if you can't build a team, you can't build a church. So I had started, before we even started the church, I was building a team. I had Pam Hughes on board. She was on our board, literally. She was helping with our books and fundraising and monies. We had Jonathan Miller who we call him our first intern. He came in, he was helping, and I was working on others. And then 
through a, a miraculous set of circumstances, I met a young man named Gabriel Johnson. And then Gabe introduced me to a guy named Devin. And they brought a slew of boys and girls to what would become a Bible study on Wednesday nights. Wesley and Kelly came around during those days. And then there was Phil and Misty. And then there was Wendy and Madison. Later, there was Anthony and Phyllis and Josh and Rachel and Melvin and Jane and Jemire and Chance and Bridget and others. We met at Manchac Place. We met at River Community Church. We met at Tiggy DuPlessis and finally here on Daigle Road. And here's the deal. The harvest was there. That wasn't a problem. The problem we were struggling with was a shortage of laborers. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want to challenge you here today. The harvest is bigger than our labor force, yea, even today. If we can increase the workers in the field, the laborers at LifePoint, we can increase, increase our ability to bring in the harvest. It's not a harvest shortage. It's a volunteer shortage. Involvement in the local church is the key not only to the growth of the church and life change in other people. It is the key to an ongoing deliverance and healing in your life and in my life. Our involvement is very strong, not just for what it does for others, but what it does for us. And as the lead pastor of this local church, I'm asking you, get involved. Go through Discover Life. Get on a group. Serve on a team. And when you're here for crying out loud, be here. Be in the moment. Worship. Pray. Believe. Get in the flow. Put your faith out there. It's time to cross the line and get involved in this local church. Do you hear what I'm saying? I love my church, and I want everybody to be involved in this church. Now, the weekend that Doug Kleinus was here, how many of you were here when evangelist, international evangelist Doug Kleinus was here? That was crazy the way that worked out. I had a message to preach that Sunday. And it was about crossing the line. But I had gotten sick that Friday night and Saturday. And Doug called me Saturday evening, said, I'm in town. I'm available tomorrow morning. And asked, you know, do you want me to preach? I know you've been sick. I said, Doug, you come on. And then Doug, in his preaching, I heard it on the podcast again recently. He gave a prophetic word. He said, life point. It is time to cross the line. Cross the line. And then I went to a meeting called Because of the Times. And I was laying on my face in the presence of God. And the Lord began to speak to me. And he said, Donovan, there's a line in the sand. And it's time to cross the line. It's the same thing Doug had said prophetically. I forgot about it. And he spoke that to me, and then I remembered what the Lord had said. And then I remembered the message that I had prepared to preach the Sunday that Doug ended up preaching. John 1.28 says this, These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, 
where John was baptizing. Bethabara, this is the baptism that John was doing, the ministry of John the Baptist. Bethabara means the place of the ford or the place of the ferry boat. It's a place of transition. It was the line you'd cross to leave the old and enter into the new. Jesus had spent 30 years waiting for his destiny, waiting on his ministry. He had gotten a taste of the future when he was 12 years old. But other than that, he had lived his life as a carpenter for 30 years. He had never preached a sermon that we know of. He had never taught a parable. He had never led a group of men. He had never opened a blind eye or a deaf ear. He had not healed a leper or cast out a demon. 30 years. To do all of that, he was going to need to cross a line. And the day that he came across John in the Jordan River baptizing at Bethabara was the time for him to cross the line. You see, the word of the Lord had come to John in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so with this word, in a sense, John the Baptist started a church. It wasn't on Main Street in Jerusalem. It wasn't on the corner of Airline and Daigle. Rather, it was in the middle of nowhere, in the wilderness, out in the bayou. Out in the parish. Do you know what I'm saying? And his message was not, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. He began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Change your way of thinking. Stop doing the bad stuff you're doing. Listen, I got a message for you. Repent. And once you've done that, you need to submit to the waters of baptism in the Jordan River. And that's something too. He didn't have a beautiful baptismal tank with crystal clear water and essential oil sprinkled in there, all lovely and nice and perfumed. It was the Jordan River, nasty, muddy. It was like what I would identify with in Shreveport as the Red River before the Army Corps of Engineers got a hold of it. Now you go jet skiing out there on the Red River, and it's not even red. It's beautiful. It it looks like Lake Placid or something. But in the day, the Red River in Shreveport, Louisiana, was disgusting. And people died on a regular basis. They would fall over in the red and disappear forever. It was messy. It was nasty. It was ugly. And John set up his baptismal tank in the Jordan River. That's the one that Naaman, the Syrian general, was offended when Elisha the prophet said, you go dip seven times in that muddy, nasty river. So John's church was in the middle of nowhere. He baptized converts in a nasty river, but that's not all. He called the visitors that came to visit his church snakes. Now, I've been to a lot of church growth seminars, and in not one of them, Have I had a coach say, Donovan, here's how you grow your church. When they visit, you say, hey, you bunch of snakes. That's not the way you grow your church. And they would say to him, hey, we hear what you're saying. We want to get baptized. We we hear that today, and we're like, absolutely. Here's the water. 
let's do it right now. But in John's day, they would say, we want to get baptized. And he said, I don't believe you. You need to go prove to me that you've changed before I'll ever put you in that old nasty baptistry. Again, I've been to a lot of church growth seminars, Brother Barber. Not one time have they ever said, tell them, no, I won't baptize you unless you prove to me that you have changed. But that's what John the Baptist was doing. Change your old wicked ways. This was all taking place at Bethabara. John was baptizing in the Jordan River, but he was conducting his meetings on the banks of it. And he was specifically having the meetings on the side that faced Jordan. The other side faced Jerusalem. And Jesus' baptism by John served as the line that he needed to cross that would take him from Jordan to Jerusalem into his calling. It was a place of transition. It was the means by which he would go from where he had been for 30 years into where he was supposed to be for the next part of his life. Now to cross the line, all he had to do was yield to what God was saying. The word of the Lord had come to John. God had placed strategically John at that place. Even when Jesus went to him and said, I need to be baptized by you. Ironically, John said, no, you don't. Tried to talk him out of it. But Jesus said, I have to yield to this nudge of my father. And he took that first step across the line. And when he did so, the heavens opened when he came out of that water. And the voice of God, his father, said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I want to say this. I'm bringing two thoughts together today. Some of you are standing at the line. Just across the line is your destiny and calling. And all you've got to do is yield to the nudging of the Spirit to cross that line. It may be you turning to Jesus for the first time. It may be you being baptized in the name above every name. It may be you believing and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. It may be you trusting God with your finances like I challenged you about today. Tithing the tithe, giving the offering. It may be saying no to the bottle or no to porn or some besetting sin. But I believe you're at the line and you're going to transition out of it where you've been for years and move into your destiny and your calling where you really want to be, where you've known you're supposed to be all of your life. And some of you are beginning to believe, I can step across that line, Donovan, out of the old and into the new from a place of lack and worry and fear and hopelessness into a place of hope and joy and abundance. I'm telling you, it's time to cross the line. Roll up your sleeves. Get involved in the local church. Put on your mud boots. Get out there in the field because the harvest church is plenteous. It's the laborers that we need. Come on, give him some praise. Can you do it right now? Hallelujah. I love my church. Let me put it to you this way. When I walked away from the Lord, you have no idea how messed up I was. I can't explain it to you. 
I hated church. It's so funny now in a way because I'm a pastor. And I hated church, Nick. I hated a bunch of hypocrites. Sorry, judgmental, hateful. I can't stand. I mean, I was accusing everybody of being hateful, and I was filled with hate. Hate the church. I took my girlfriend, and I said, we'll never, ever go to church. Ever, 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 ever. We'll never go to church. I hate church. We'd go out to eat with people that were in church because they'd invite us and try to witness to us. I knew it was a trick. But it was a free meal. Kevin, free food goes a long ways. We learned that early days here at Life Point. It was a trick. They'd invite us out to eat. I'd eat the food. But I'd just, I'd just be waiting on <laughs> And they'd say something. I'd, man, I'd get mad. Valerie would be kicking me on the table. I'd, oh, so mad. Ticked off. I can't stand this. A bunch of these hypocrites. Man, I was just so mad and so angry. But listen to me. When it was time, for when it was time, when God was moving on my heart, and and he was drawing me back through a series of circumstances, he was reeling me in. He put a hook in my jaw, and he was pulling me back. I thank God there was a church with some laborers who knew how to pray, who knew how to love me in spite of myself. There was a church that was doing church and reaching out in the spirit and worshiping and praying. And I came into a red-hot church that loved that old hell out of me that was there, that worshiped the hell that was in me out of there, that prayed the hell that was in me out of there and I had a fresh start and a fresh chance because of the church I love my church I love my church and when Valerie first got in church she has so many issues oh let me tell you about it never mind she has so many issues she has so many hang ups you can't even imagine And there was these little old ladies that met on Tuesday mornings in a prayer meeting. And they took this high school girl by the arm and said, come here, honey. We want you to come to our prayer meeting with us. And they prayed with her. And they loved her. And they got the hell out of her heart. And they prayed her through. And they prayed her on. And they encouraged. I thank God there was a church for my wife which she needed it the most. I love my church. I love my church. I love my church. The church is powerful in this earth. Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's some people, listen to me, church, God wants you to cross that line and become the force of change that you were created and destined to be. It's not just a pulpit thing. It's not just a pastor thing. It's a body of Christ thing. It's each member. All of them prayed and prophesied, and the Spirit moved through them all and changed the unbeliever and the uninformed to where they said, God is in this place. 
Now let me tell you something. That church at Corinth was not perfect. That church at Corinth had issues. Everybody say issues. But they were disciples. Disciples are not perfect. But disciples are constantly changing. Learning what pleases him. Learning what displeases him. And dropping the knee and saying, listen, being a disciple is not saying I surrender all one time. Being a disciple is saying I surrender all over and over and over again. I am sorry, Father. I did not realize how much that grieved you. I surrender myself and my all once again. Lord, I'm sorry I picked up that bottle again and I lost my mind and I started drinking once again. I Forgive me, Lord. I surrender it all to you once again. I am so sorry. I didn't know you wanted me to stop talking that way. I didn't realize you wanted me to stop dressing that way. I didn't realize you wanted me to act differently. But now I do. And so once again, not my will, but thine be done. It's not prayed once. It's prayed over and over and over and over again in the life of the disciples. That church at Corinth, they weren't perfect. But they were changing. That's why Paul could write to them and say, stop doing that. Start doing this. And they would adjust and they would change. Even in our text, he would say, when you all come together, don't sing and preach and testify in other tongues. Because the outsider will think you're out of your mind. You don't hear preaching like this anymore. Nobody wants to talk about talking in tongues, right? But this is a first century church. He said, when you get together, don't sing. Don't preach and testify in other tongues. Stop it. They think you're nuts. But when you do come together, speak in a language that that outsider understands, but do it under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Lift your voice and pray in the Spirit, man. Plug in. Don't just recite some words. Speak from your heart. Let the Holy Ghost use you. Put your faith out there and watch what he does. And that church adjusted. Not my will, but your will be done. And they surrendered. They constantly surrendered. And the result was... Corinth became one of the largest churches in all the New Testament. Some estimates have that church at Corinth as being 70,000 members strong. Now, the church at Rome possibly was only five or six home groups with maybe 150 at the most, scholars tell us. But the church at Corinth, 70,000. I'm going to tell you something, church. It is vital that we all plug in and cross the line. Bear the responsibility as the church to reach a world that's hungry. I thank God for people like Ron and Cheryl Beckton that reached out to us. I thank God for people who incidentally are going to be here, which is crazy, speaking at our marriage uh, retreat this year. Ron and Cheryl back to the people. You'll get to meet the people that took us out to eat 
and D.H. sulked the whole time. Ron would be like, you like to play golf, Donovan? No. Oh. Uh, you like, you like, you fish? Used to, don't anymore. Valerie's kicking me. Stop it. Try to be nice. You're going to meet that guy. Some of our greatest friends. They'll be here. I thank God for Ron and Cheryl back there. I thank God for Jerry Dean. I thank God for all these people that loved on us. It's time to cross the line. There's somebody that's coming through those doors that's waiting on you to be that connection. You've lived all your life over here with possibility. God's saying, cross the line and realize your full potential. I've got some great things for you. The rest of your healing is on this other side of that river helping somebody else. The rest of your deliverance is on the other side of that river helping somebody else. Well, I'm not perfect. Well, nobody is. But you've got to cross that line. You've got to bow the knee once again and say, here I am. I surrender. And you've got to love the other disciples in this building regardless of where they are in their walk with God. I realized a long time ago, I ain't ever going to get everybody where I think they all ought to be at the same time. As a pastor, I could drive myself insane. Say, well, I got to get so-and-so over here. I got to get them over here. I got to get everybody. I realize it ain't going to happen. There'll be people that die that never got where I thought they needed to get in my little time with, with them as a pastor, as a mentor, as a leader. But you know what? I'm okay with that. As long as they're moving, facing the right direction, that's all that matters. God will take care of the rest. And God's looking for some of you to say, I'm going to step up to the plate, and I'm going to help somebody get from point A to point B, and maybe to point C, and maybe to point D. I'm going to love them no matter where they are. Some of you are the very ones that they need to lean on because your story matches their story. Maybe you weren't angry like I am, but I can help angry people. When I'm talking to somebody, they're like, I hate the church. I'm like, I get it, man. Are you kidding me? You're a pastor. Oh, no. Yeah, but I get it. I know what you mean. I hate the church. It's just a bunch of hypocrites. I get it. Yes, I can help you with that. It's okay. You're not mad about it? No, man, I get it. I relate. I get it. But I want to tell you something. People ain't perfect, I'll tell them that. But I tell you what, my God is good. Whatever you thought about him, I just want to tell you, you may not know it. He is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth endures for all generations. I can help you. God is wanting you to help somebody else. But you got to cross that line. Everybody say, I love my church. Say, it's time to cross the line. Won't you stand with me right now? Can you do it? Bethabara was a place of transition. Traditionally, even back in Jesus' time, Bethabara was the place where Joshua commanded the priest to carry the ark and step into the Jordan River. And when they did so, it dried up miraculously. And they crossed over into the promised land. Again, a place of transition where the children of Israel crossed out of the wilderness 
into the promises of God. It was the place where Elijah smote the river with his mantle. And it dried up and parted. And he crossed over that line and transitioned into his ministry and was caught up in the chariot of fire. It's the same place where Elisha did the same thing. Smote that river. It was a Bethabara. It all took place at that place. It was the line. Jesus was baptized there. And the heavens opened. But the idea is this. When each of these came to the line, they all moved forward and crossed the line. They did not retreat or back off. They moved across it. I want to challenge somebody today. The Holy Spirit is challenging somebody today. Don't retreat once again. Don't pull back once again. Push forward. I'm telling you, every race, every nationality, every socioeconomic background in this building, the Lord wants to bind us together as His disciples to do a great work. When Jesus came out of those waters, He transitioned out of a world that had no Christ into a world that now did. Out of a world that had no Savior and no power into a world that did. The world before Christ was desperate for restoration and renewal. The world after Christ was filled with restoration and renewal. I'm going to tell you something. There is a world waiting for a church to cross the line and bring a message of hope and restoration and renewal. There are communities. There are neighborhoods. There are people you work with and people I work with that are waiting for a church to cross the line and say, you didn't think there was any help. But listen, honey, I'm going to tell you, my God is able. And I don't just mean my religion. My God is able. My Savior is able to make a difference. Where does that boldness come from? It comes from crossing the line. Crossing the line. I'm not going to live my life selfishly. I'm not going to put it off on DH and the ministry team at LifePoint. I'm going to get involved. Well, I'm not a preacher. Well, listen, I never started out as a preacher, but I crossed the line before I ever started preaching. You've got to cross that line and say, if you can use anything, God, use me. You used an old donkey in the Old Testament. You can use me, Lord. I'm telling you, he can use you to be that agent of change and transition. The world is waiting. I love my church. And I see so much potential in you people. That potential has to be realized. It has to. God's going to take us to a new level. He's going to take us together, though. Amen? Would you bow your head with me right now? Father, I thank you for the challenge of your spirit. I thank you, Lord, for that still, small voice, that nudge that says, I was made for more. I was designed for more. There's a call on my life. There's a call from heaven that's challenging me to cross that line. I'm willing, Lord. I'm willing. I'm yielded to that nudge. I'm a disciple. I'm willing to say yes. If it crosses my religious line, 
if it, it causes me grief in my family, if it causes the criticism of those nearest me who know me the best, it's okay, Lord, because I answer to you. I don't answer to them, and I'm here to do something great for you. I'm willing to lay my life down for you, Lord Jesus. Would you look at me just for a moment? March 5th, 1836, Colonel William Barrett Travis had known for several days that his situation inside the old Spanish mission called the Alamo had become hopeless. Several thousand soldiers under the command of Mexican General Antonio Lopez de Santa Anta had Travis and some 189 other defenders surrounded. The young Texas colonel, he was only 26 years old. He was a lawyer, not a professional military man, but Travis knew enough history to understand that in a siege, the army on the outside usually prevails over the army on the inside. So he gathered his fellow defenders of the Alamo that Saturday afternoon, and he gave a speech. He said, we must die. Our business is not to make a fruitless effort to save our lives, but to choose the manner of our death. He saw three possibilities. Surrender and be executed. Or try to fight their way out and be butchered by the Mexican lancers or to remain in the fort and resist every assault and to sell their lives as dearly as possible. Then with a flourish, Travis drew his sword and he slowly marked a line in the dirt. He said, I now want every man who is determined to stay here and die with me to come across the line. A young Tapley Holland made his decision quickly, saying, I am ready to die for my country. And as he jumped over the line, it's hard to picture it as a stampede. The, the men knew they were voting to die, but one by one, they stepped across that line. And co-commander Jim Bowie, who had been injured and was lying sick on a cot, asked some of the men, would you please carry my cot across this line? Because I'm willing to die for this cause. And he inspired others. And all he could do was lean up and shoot a little bit. And they all passed away at the Alamo. You know the story. But the idea is this. They did it with courage and bravery that inspired a nation. There's some of you. There's a line in the sand. And the Holy Spirit is saying... Are you willing to lay your life down for a cause, for a call that's greater than just living your life for the temporary things, making a living, having a good time, having a party, going on another cruise, going on another vacation, spend, and I'm not against any of that stuff, spending a little money here and spending a little time there, watching a Super Bowl and watching a game and going to a game and just having some fun. Are you willing to lay your life down and sacrifice your all for the King of kings and the Lord of lords and for his purpose in the earth? That's the call I'm talking about. That's the ring I hear in my ear from heaven saying there's a line in the sand, Donovan, and it's time to cross that line. I don't know about you, but I'm willing to cross that line again. I've done it a thousand times before, but I'm willing to do it one more time. I'm willing to lay my life down and get, roll my sleeves up and get involved in somebody's life that needs Jesus more than anything.
You know why? Because I'm the church. And you're the church. And if this world's going to be reached, it's going to be done through you and me. Amen. I got a line in the sand right now. And I want to invite you. If the Spirit of God is convicting you and calling you, I want you to step across that line and come to these altars right this minute. Don't hesitate. 